right, so two weeks ago, we kicked off a very rich portion of John's gospel known as the Upper Room Discourse. And so on the night before he was crucified, Jesus began to speak to his disciples somewhere in an upper room in Jerusalem, and John recorded his words in chapters 14 through 17. And so these four chapters contain some of the most cherished statements that the Lord ever gave to his people. And I'm super excited today uh, to continue our study of these uh, cherished statements um, with you. And so as Jesus began to share with the 11, remember Judas has gone out. And so the 11 are there. Jesus is um, there on a Thursday evening and he's sharing. And as he's sharing, as he begins to share, you need to know that the mood in the room was really heavy. And the reason for the heaviness is because Jesus had just announced that he was going away. And this rocked the disciples. I mean, for three plus years, they have had uh, uh, made such an intimate bond with the Lord Jesus Christ, and now all of a sudden he's saying that he's going away. And so they were visibly troubled. Therefore, in an attempt to encourage his discouraged disciples, Here's what Jesus did. He did what any good pastor will do. He tried to encourage them. And he said this. You can read it along in your Bibles, John 14, 1 through 3, or just listen to me as I quote it. He looked around at his troubled disciples, and he said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe. Believe. Have faith. Trust in God. Trust also in me. He said, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. When his disciples were discouraged, here's what Jesus did. He encouraged them by talking about heaven. When they were discouraged, here's what he did. He encouraged them by promising, how many of you guys know Jesus is a promise keeper, not a promise breaker? He promised that I will come back and I will take you to heaven. And so two weeks ago when we went through those three verses, I shared a series of questions and answers regarding heaven. And so as we went through those first three verses, We had a series of questions and answers. The first one was, who are the occupants of heaven? And ladies and gentlemen, the answer is the children of God. And by the way, not every created human being on earth is a child of God. You gotta hear that, you gotta understand that. It was, he was speaking to the 11 in the upper room, right? And he had told them earlier that that evening that you are clean. That word clean is a metaphor for spiritual cleansing. They were saved. Judas had left. He wasn't there. And why were the 11 clean? Why were the 11 saved? Because John 1:12, as many as received Christ, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. The occupants of heaven are the children of God. The quest, next question was, what is heaven like? And the answer is, it's a home for God's kids. The Lord Jesus said, I um, am in my father's house, my father's house, my daddy's house, my Abba's house, are many rooms. And so what is heaven like? It's a home for God's kids. And then finally, how will believers get there? 
And the answer is the rapture, unless we pass before the rapture, but the rapture is coming. If you missed my message on heaven, I really wanna encourage you to go and download the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Just type in Calvary PSL and it'll be there. Go back and listen to that message. Go to our website, click on sermons, listen to that message and rejoice because ladies and gentlemen, here's what's sad. So many of us put more thought into our two week summer vacation than we do about our eternal home. And it's time to start thinking about our home in heaven. And so, after talking about going to his father's house, Jesus said this in verse four. So right now, if you're looking at John chapter 14, verse four, can you please say amen so I know you're there? Okay, so here we go. He said, and you know the way to where I'm going. In other words, you know the way, guys, to the Father's house. Verse five, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where we're going or where you are going. How can we know the way? And so Thomas, who will later get the um, unfortunate nickname Doubting Thomas for something he's gonna do later in the gospel, which we'll cover later, um, he speaks up, and he basically says to the Lord, hey, um, how can we know the way to where you're going? In other words, you know, we're not sure how to get there. Can you give us some directions to your dad's house? And Jesus' reply to Thomas, ladies and gentlemen, is one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible. And I think you know ahead of time what, a, what we're gonna read. Okay, so everybody look at John 14, six. Here it is. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Wow, that's a powerful statement we'll come back to later. But Jesus' declaration in verse six is one of the seven great I am statements that were uniquely recorded by John in his gospel. Do you guys remember these? Uh, we'll put them back on the screen to remind you. And so Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life and I am the true vine. You know, this is why C.S. Lewis writes that Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or he's the Lord. Because these are powerful, weighty statements. Don't just say, oh, I think Jesus is a good teacher. He is not a good teacher if he's lying about these things. And he's not a good teacher if he's off his uh, rocker and he's a lunatic. No, no, no. How many of you guys believe Jesus is Lord? Yeah, yeah, and what are these? What these are, are these are titles that Jesus gave to himself that describe who he is and what he can do for us. My favorite is the second from the bottom. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so here's the big announcement. If anybody, anywhere, wants to know how to get to the Father, 
If anybody anywhere wants to know how to get to the Father's house, if anybody anywhere wants to know how to get to heaven, they don't have to look any further than his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the story is told about a missionary. He wanted to get to a certain village which was uh, deep, deep in the jungle, far away from civilization. He didn't know how to get there, and so he asked a local guide to take him. At first, their journey seemed simple enough. The path was easy to follow, but after a while, the path literally disappeared, and the missionary witnessed the guide, um, and he's cutting away the thick brush with his machete in order to keep moving forward. The missionary, after a few minutes, is concerned, and he said, quote, to the guide, where did the path go? And the guide, turned, the guide turned around and with a big smile, he said to the missionary, I am the path. Ladies and gentlemen, if you wanna know how to get to heaven, you don't need a path, you need a person. You don't need a road, you need a redeemer, and you don't need a trail, you need the truth. You need the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ, who through his death and resurrection, listen to this, who through his death and resurrection made a way when there seemed to be no way. That's our Jesus. And so we're gonna rejoice in Jesus this morning. I know there's some introverts in here, and you don't like to be expressive, and there's some extroverts in here, and you love being expressive, just know that we're a church for both. Be who you are, but we're gonna rejoice in Jesus Christ this morning as we go through this rich passage. All right, so regarding Jesus Christ, you need to know if you're taking notes, if you wanna be saved, he's the way. And as I've said 100 times before, no one can be saved until you admit that you are lost. Listen, listen to the Bible. I'll be quoting a lot of Bible verses this morning. That's good. How many of you guys believe this is God's word? Okay, and so your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Jesus says, sanctify them with your truth. Your word is truth. God has helped me over the years to commit a lot of Bible verses to memory. And it's so helpful, especially when I go through dark times. You say, Pastor, you go through dark times? Yeah, I'm a human being just like you. And when I go through dark times, it's so helpful to know that I have the word hidden in my heart because why? The word is a light, the word is a lamp, and it will illuminate your darkness, and the Holy Spirit will take the word of God, and he will encourage your heart. And so I wanna encourage you to do that as well. Listen to the word of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. What does that mean? There's no good people on earth. Period. You say, I'm a good person. Well, um, you're not. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. You say, I'm offended. Well, you need to get over your offense so you can get saved. Because you're not good. The Bible says there are none righteous, no, not one. Because God, who sees hearts, he knows what's really going on. Okay, and then the Bible continues to say, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All means all. In the Greek, wherever language you're looking at. All have sinned. And what is the wages of sin? Help me out, church family. Death. Physical death, spiritual death, because we're body and we're soul as well. 
And so, ladies and gentlemen, spiritual death is not annihilation. Annihilation is not taught anywhere in the Bible. Spiritual death is eternal separation from God in a place called hell. There is a place called hell. It is real. Jesus preached more on hell than he did on heaven because he doesn't want anybody to go there. And we're doing our people a disservice when pastors refuse to preach on hell. It's real. And so the wages of sin is death. That's the bad news. The good news is this. God showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ is our substitute. Christ is our substitute who paid our ransom on the cross, a blood sacrifice. He made the way when there seemed to be no way. And ladies and gentlemen, here's the good news. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it's not maybe, you will be saved. That's the authority of God's word, Romans chapter 10, verse nine. It goes on to say, for with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. For everyone who believes on the Lord Jesus shall be saved. That's a promise you can take to the bank. And we should rejoice in the promise of God's grace. And so, man, regarding Jesus Christ, if you're taking notes number two, if you want to be sure, he's the truth. He's the truth. So he's not just the way, he's the truth. I'm not up here just speaking a bunch of religious words, platitudes. No, I'm telling you the truth. And Jesus is the truth. Revelation chapter three, verse 14, Jesus is revealed as, quote, the amen, the faithful and true witness. I love that. Jesus Christ is faithful and he's true. You can always count on him. And here's what I know, that every single person in this room, if you've been alive more than five minutes, everybody watching online, if you've been alive more than five minutes, here's what I know. I know that people have been unfaithful to you. They have lied to you. For some of you, you've been betrayed, stabbed in the back, talked about whatever it is. Well, well, here's what you need to do. Whoever those people are, you need to forgive them from your heart because Jesus has forgiven you of all your sins. Who are we to hold a grudge? Who are we to hold a grudge? What if God held a grudge against us? Where would we be? He freely forgives in Christ. You gotta forgive them. I'm not saying you gotta do life with them. I'm saying you gotta forgive them. If God opens doors and you do life, praise the Lord, but you gotta forgive them, okay? But here's the second thing I wanna encourage you about. Jesus will never let you down. Jesus will never be unfaithful to you. Jesus will never lie to you. He is a promise keeper. He's not a promise breaker. In fact, Christ is divine truth incarnate. Welcome to December. Welcome to the Christmas season. I can't wait in a few weeks to do four gatherings with you guys on Christmas Eve on a Saturday. And we're gonna talk about the incarnation and how we need to adore the Lord Jesus Christ, but he is divine truth incarnate. You say, where do you get that from? I get it all the way back, what was it, like three years we started the Gospel of John? First verse, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh. God became flesh and dwelt among us. 
we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace, listen to this, and truth. You see, Jesus Christ is the truth. He can be trusted. And that it, he, he always keeps his promises. And so that includes this promise. If you're listening right now, say amen. Okay, so how many of you guys absolutely know you're born again? All right, so this is for you, okay? Jesus is saying to you this morning, I'm not saying I'm Jesus at all, please, give me a break, all right? But listen to the Lord's word. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Neither will any man snatch them out of my hand. The Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one will snatch them from my Father's hand. I and the Father are what? One. You see, that is a promise that you can take to the bank. That is a promise that you can trust the Lord with. Concerning his promises, you don't have to wonder, are they true? No, 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 we can be sure. And so point number three, Jesus Christ, if you wanna be saved, he's the way. If you wanna be sure, he's the truth. Number three, if you wanna be satisfied, guess what? He's the life. You see, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so Christ doesn't just give us eternal life and the next life by and by. No, no, he gives us abundant life right here and now on the earth. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, I shall not lack. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not gonna fear any evil. Why? Because God is with me. His rod, his staff, they comfort me. He prepares before me a table in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup is running over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, all the days of my life here on the earth, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's abundant life, and that's eternal life, and it's only found in Christ, and in that life you and I can be satisfied. Stop chasing this, that, and the other, trying to fill the void that God has made in your heart. He made the void in, in, in your heart, and it can only be filled by him. Whether it's in this life or the next life, it can only be fulfilled by him. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus did not say in John 14, 6, that I am a way. He said that I am the way. What does that mean? That means that he's not just one of many ways to heaven, he's the only way. And to make sure that we heard him loud and clear, he went on to say this, if you're listening, say amen here. No one, no one, in the Greek that means no one. No one comes to the Father but through me. Period. You say, I don't believe that. Have it your way. But here's the thing. I've said it over and over. Anybody who predicts his death and resurrection and then accomplishes 
that resurrection, I'm all ears. And he was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses, alive from the dead. I'm all ears. I'm gonna listen to whatever he says. And he says, no one comes to the Father but through me. What does that mean? If you're taking notes, it means that Jesus is the only way. Can you guys shout out only way? Only way. To the Father and to his house. Period. But that makes people mad. That goes against the spirit of the age. But it's true. Jesus said it, and in my opinion, the three most famous apostles were Peter, John, and Paul. And so we have Acts, 1 John, and 1 Timothy. Peter said in Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Some of you are new to church, you're like, saved from what? What do I gotta be saved from? You gotta be saved from sin, death, and hell. And that's why Jesus came primarily. And Peter says there's not salvation in anyone else, no other name but the name of Jesus. John says in 1 John 5, 12, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Simple, right? It's not rocket science. You either have life or you don't have life. You're forgiven or you're not forgiven. And then 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, the apostle Paul says, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself, listen to this, as a ransom for all. And so if you're new to all this, listen, this is why Jesus is the only way, because he is the only one who gave, who paid the ransom for us. What's that? What ransom? His life, a blood sacrifice. You read the Old Covenant, and you see all these perfect lambs that are sacrificed. Why? For the atonement, the covering. That's what atonement means, literally, the covering of the sin. And so all of those, was, that was all temporary, and it all was a foreshadowing or a type of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb of God, who paid the ransom by bleeding out, dying for you and me. That's why he's the only way. Because Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Where would we be without Jesus? Here's where we would be. We'd be up a creek without a paddle. So praise God for Jesus Christ. Make a big deal about Jesus Christ. Don't just be a Sunday morning Christian. Live for the Lord every single day, and not just every day, every hour of every day, and not every hour of the day, not just that, but every minute and every second of the day. He's worthy of our praise. And so here's the problem, though. If we say Jesus is the only way, we're deemed by our culture as intolerant and arrogant. Why? Because our culture is very pluralistic, religiously speaking. Okay, so we're gonna park here for a little while, and uh, we're gonna talk about this because this is super, super relevant. What is religious pluralism? If you're taking notes, here it is right here. Religious pluralism is the belief that ultimate reality has multiple explanations and all major religious roads lead to heaven. Now what I'm saying here is so, so relevant, why? Because there are multiplied millions of Americans that believe that. 
Some of your neighbors believe that. Some of your family members believe that. Maybe your spouse believes that. Maybe your kids who are now adult kids and out of the house have turned to that. And so we need to talk about this. Religious pluralism, the belief that ultimate reality has multiple explanations and all major religious roads lead to heaven. The pluralist will say, there's not just one way to heaven. There are many ways. In fact, all major religions are equally valid. We're gonna be tolerant and we're gonna be nice and so that's why we believe that all major religions are equally valid and you can't put one above the other because that's just arrogant, you shouldn't do that. But here's what I would say to that. How can all major religions be equally valid when they have opposing views? Let's think through this with, with each other, okay? Believing that all major religions are equally valid violates the law of non-contradiction. Now, I learned this in seminary a couple of years ago, and um, it's something that's super, super powerful. Look at the definition. Opposite ideas cannot both be true at the same time and in the same sense. We believe that for math, but when it comes to religion, it's all another story. But ladies and gentlemen, that is a law that cannot be changed. In fact, you can't deny that law without affirming it. What do you mean? Here's what I mean. If you say that I don't believe that law, you know, when it comes to religion, Christianity, let's say Islam, right, um, I think they're equally valid, even though they have opposing views. They're equally valid. So I, I throw that out. In fact, I say that opposite ideas can both be true at the same time and in the same sense. And then you just ask that person, well, do you believe the opposite of what you just said is true? You'll get it in a moment. <laughs> do you believe the opposite of what you just said is true? No. Well, you just affirmed the law of non-contradiction. You guys see what's going on here? Okay, so that is a law that's established, period. You cannot break that law. And if it's good in math, it's good in every area, including the, the area of religion. Let's talk about Christianity and Islam for a little while. Okay, so again, opposite ideas cannot both be true at the same time and in the same sense. Someone tries to deny it. They say, I believe opposite ideas can both be true. And all you have to ask them is, do you believe the opposite of what you just said is true? And you'll, they'll automatically understand that they have just affirmed that law. Now, how does it apply to religion? Well, you need to know that there is some truth in Islam. Just like there's some truth in every religion, there's some truth in every pseudo-Christian cult, there is truth in it. But Islam contradicts Christianity in many areas, especially Christology, which is who is Jesus Christ, and soteriology, which is how are you saved? How do you get to heaven? The two religious systems 
I don't even wanna call Christianity a religious system, but the two religions are opposite in their teachings about those two vital subjects and a lot of other subjects as well. I'll give you an example. Christians say Jesus is God's one and only son. Islam says Jesus is not God's son because Allah doesn't have a son. Jesus was just a great prophet. Now, would you guys agree with me that those two statements are contradictory, yes or no? Yes, well, opposite ideas cannot both be true at the same time and in the same sense. Christianity says Jesus Christ died on the cross as a ransom payment for our sins. Islam says Jesus Christ was not crucified. That's their official position of Islam. He was not crucified. Would you agree that those two statements are contradictory? Three of you, I'll ask it again. <laughs> Do you believe those two statements are contradictory, yes or no? Yes, well, opposite ideas cannot both be true at the same time in the same sense. Christianity says salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Islam says Allah weighs our good deeds against our bad deeds, and he may, in his mercy, tip the balance so we can go to paradise. Would you agree that those two teachings on how to be saved are opposite? Opposite ideas cannot both be true in the same time in the same sense. And yet, regarding who Jesus is and regarding how to get to heaven and any other area where the two religions um, um, disagree, you still have pluralists who will say that both religions are valid. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to say it, and it might not sound nice, but nice is not the top priority. Truth is the top priority, okay? And by the way, I think the nicest thing you can do for someone is tell them the truth. And so the truth is either Christianity is true and Islam is false, or Islam is true and Christianity is false. You can't have it both ways. But the pluralist will say both religions are equally valid. And I would say, since they have opposing views, according to the law of non-contradiction, they are not equally valid. And so there's so many examples I could give you about religious pluralism. I'll just give you a few. After the 9-11 attacks on our nation at Washington, D.C.'s National Cathedral, a prayer was offered to, quote, the God of Abraham, the God of Muhammad, and the Father of Jesus Christ. During a, a similar service in New York City, Oprah boldly declared, quote, all people pray to the same God. Actress Sarah Geller from that famous TV series, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, it's because it's, that's from the 90s. I'm an old guy. But listen to this. If you're listening right now, say amen. Because this captures the spirit of our age. And by the way, what I'm about to share from Sarah Geller is what is all over social media. And moms and dads, I'll say it again. If you're letting TikTok disciple your kids, you need to get up and get involved in your kids' lives. Yeah! Moms and dads, you're called first to be their parent, second to be their friend. Be the parent. 
And if they're off doing this and you have no idea what they're doing, man, heaven help you. You gotta get involved. They'll get mad. <laughs> they'll get mad. I think they'll get over it. And in 10, 15, 20 years, they'll thank you. And so, Sarah Geller described her particular brand of religion in this way, quote, I consider myself a spiritual person. I believe in an idea of God, although it's my own personal ideal. I find most religions interesting, and I've been to every kind of denomination, Catholic, Christian, Jewish, Buddhist. I've taken bits from everything and customized it. <laughs> so imagine that. Custom-made religion. You just look at different faiths, right? You take what you like, you throw out what you don't like, and poof, you have your own personal religion. How convenient. It's like choosing a religion is like on the same level of choosing paint colors for your bedroom. You know, I'm gonna paint that wall with a little bit of Islam and that wall with a little bit of Christianity, we're gonna trim it up with Buddhism. Right, that's, that's what it's like. That's how people have demeaned religion in our society. And of course, self-rules, because it's all about me, myself, and I, and so you can't deny me what I wanna do. I wanna pick my own religion, I'll pick my own religion. Yeah, and you're gonna end up in an, in an eternity without Jesus Christ. And so Oprah says, we all pray the same God, and people say, oh, isn't that so open-minded? And then actresses and TV stars, they make up their own religion and people say, oh, that's so wonderful. But then an evangelical Christian says, Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and what does the culture say? You're intolerant. And you're arrogant. Well, what makes me scratch my head is this. If you're listening, say amen here. Right, the pluralist is just as intolerant toward the Christian view as Christians are towards the pluralist view. So don't let anybody try to fool you. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. If you don't believe me that they're intolerant about all other views, try to challenge them on their view and see what you get. And, and what really makes me scratch my head even more is this idea that the Christian view is arrogant. Really? Come on. What's, I mean, who's really arrogant? The one who humbly submits to God's revealed truth or the one who seeks to change it because they don't agree with it or they don't like it. How do you guys think that's gonna go over on judgment day? By the way, there is a judgment day and it's coming like a freight train. And see, this is why God chooses people like me and other pastors, right, to stand up on platforms all over America and around the world, right, because the world's not gonna tell you this. The world and your friends and social media are not gonna tell you judgment day is coming. And so God picks little nobodies like me to stand up and say, judgment day is coming. Are you prepared? Are you ready? Because you will one day stand eyeball to eyeball with the one who knit you together in your mother's womb. But how is all this pluralism gonna go over on judgment day? Uh, God, regarding you and your word, I decided to just embrace the stuff that I liked, but I decided to throw away the stuff that I don't like. Really? Who's playing God in that scenario? 
Who's being arrogant in that scenario? I submit to you, it's the one who tries to overrule an omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, eternal, sovereign God to create their own religion. That's the arrogant person. And so don't let anybody dupe you. We are not called to change God. We're called to let him change us. Why? Because he's the Lord and we're not. He's the king and we're not. He's the sovereign and we're not. Ladies and gentlemen, my heart breaks. I am so burdened because I know there's people in our church family and you're going your own way and you're doing your own thing and you are the Lord of your life. And it's time to repent of that. It's time to confess Jesus as Lord of your life and follow him. And so, before I go on in verse eight, I just wanna say, since Jesus Christ rose from the dead and was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses, I know Christianity is the only way. Christ is the only way. Look at verse eight. Philip said now, so Thomas is done. Philip now says, Lord, Show us the Father and it's enough for us. I guess Philip wants a special manifestation of the Father right there in the upper room. And Jesus replies in verse nine, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works, his miracles. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father's in me, or else believe on account of the works, the miracles. Jesus had been doing hundreds of them, the miracles themselves. And so Jesus says to Philip in verse nine, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Wow, again, liar, lunatic, or Lord. Whoever has seen me, can you imagine if I said right now, whoever has seen Pastor Mike has seen the Father. I hope you would do one thing. You guys know the one word. What is it? Run. Well, you've been listening. Yeah, run far away. Don't ever listen to me again. But Jesus Christ said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. What does that mean? That means that the Father and the Son are one in essence, one in being, one in nature. Then he said, in verse 10, the Father who dwells in me does the works. What does that mean? That means that the Father and Son are one in operation. I love that. One in essence, one in operation. No wonder the Lord Jesus Christ made a bigger impact on humanity by far than any other human being who has ever lived in all of history. One in being, one in operation. And then later in the Upper Room Discourse, in the weeks to come, Jesus will talk about the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son. And so, ladies and gentlemen, listen to this. Through the progressive revelation of the New Testament, this is what the Bible teaches. And we have visitors. I know I've gone through this before, but we have visitors, and so I, I need to keep sharing this whenever it comes up in the Scriptures. We know that there is one God, please everybody shout it, one God. <laughs> Christianity is a monotheistic religion. 
There is one God eternally existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And just as there are three sides in one triangle, so God is three in one. And each of the three persons of the Trinity are co-equal and co-eternal ontologically. Don't let that phrase like shut you down. Ontologically, all it means is, is being or, or um, nature. And so the three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, are co-equal and co-eternal regarding their nature, regarding their being. And so there is one God, top of the triangle, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, one God, eternally existing in three persons. The Father outer ring is not the Son. We don't believe in modalism here at Calvary. Three persons, not three modes. Okay, so the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. The true God is the triune God. He's the only God, and each person of the Trinity deserves our worship, adoration, and praise. This is why we sang this morning, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, because it's true. Now look at verse 12. Truly, truly, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. And so after Jesus went up, went to the Father, you guys tell me, who came down? The Holy Spirit. And then what happened? Well, Mark tells us, the disciples, okay, in the context there, that's Mark 16, 20, in um, verse 14, in the context, it's speaking of specifically the 11 apostles. And so they went out and they preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Okay, and so that verse right there, I could give you a lot more, but we don't have time, that corresponds to what Jesus just said in verse 12. Jesus just said, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And so you continue to read in the New Testament, you get to the book of Acts. By the way, if you haven't been through Acts with us, all, I thought there was 20 or 30, and I went back in between services and counted them, there's 49 messages that I did on Acts. They're all available on the website if you wanna listen to them on the way to work. But when you continue to read in the Acts of the Apostles, here's what you find out. That the apostles and, if you're listening, say amen here, and other disciples. Please don't believe that just the apostles did works, um, signs and miracles. It wasn't just the 11 apostles. It was the apostles and disciples. And they went out and they preached and what happened? Exactly what that verse says, the Lord worked through them by his spirit and confirmed their message by signs and miracles. And so, guess what? Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and that's exactly what happened when you turn to Acts. The apostles and the disciples did great works. But he goes on to say in verse 12, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. In other words, the apostles and disciples are gonna do greater works than I did. 
Okay, so I don't want you to misunderstand that statement. He's not saying greater in terms of power. He's saying greater in terms of extent. Ladies and gentlemen, the works of the apostles and disciples were not more powerful than the works of Jesus Christ. Please give me a break. What can be more powerful than walking on water? I mean, go out to the beach today. It's a beautiful day. I highly recommend it. And take off and walk to the Bahamas. Let's see how far you get. Okay, that's a powerful work. And Jesus did it. I've been to the Sea of Galilee five or six times. I've seen exactly where, he's, where he did it. Okay, the apostles and disciples' works weren't, more, weren't greater in terms of power. What can be more powerful than walking on water? What can be more powerful than stilling a raging storm with just a sentence out of your mouth? What could be more powerful than casting a legion of demons into a herd of pigs? What could be more powerful than raising your friend Lazarus from the dead after his corpse had been in the tomb decomposing for four days? No, 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 no. There's no more powerful works than the works of Jesus Christ in the Gospels. Okay? He's not saying power, more powerful in terms of uh, more, gr greater in terms of power. He's saying greater in terms of extent. Why? Because the apostles and the disciples, right, they spread the mission and the works of Jesus Christ beyond Palestine to the entire Roman Empire and then beyond. Now, I really want you to think about this. and Don't be timid. Just shout it out. Did the mission of Christ end at the end of the apostolic age? The answer is... No, half of you. The other half are still wondering. Okay, so you can go ahead and say no on the authority of God's word. I'll say it again. Did the mission of Jesus Christ end at the end of the apostolic age? No. no. We are called to carry out his mission. There's more people on the earth today than there's ever been, I think. But I think it's close. Okay, so man, there's people everywhere, and God is not willing that anybody should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so we still have a mission today, and we're not gonna do anything in our own strength. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't wait to talk about the forgotten member of the Trinity, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God. And so we're called to carry on his mission in our generation, and through our prayers, listen, 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 which have got to be full of faith, we should expect the Lord to do great things in our generation as well. We should expect it. Is he a great God, yes or no? Yes. He's gonna do great things, expect it. Now speaking of prayer, here's your last two verses, verses 13 and 14. Stay with me to the end, please. He says in verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, and if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now you gotta keep those verses in context when you teach this on prayer, okay? The problem with some of the guys on TV, they take the verses out of context, and then they teach whatever they wanna teach, and it's false. So don't do that. Keep them in the context regarding the flow of what Jesus has been talking about. What has Jesus been talking about? He said very clearly, I am going to my Father. That's the ascension. 
And so the idea there, the inference there, is I'm going to the Father, and then the Holy Spirit, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, is going to come down, and he's going to indwell, and he's going to empower you as you carry on my work, and whatever, in the context of that, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And so with all that in mind, here's your last point. As Christ's followers who are empowered by his spirit and carrying on his ministry, when we pray in his name, we should expect him to answer. God forbid this church becomes impotent. God forbid that we have a bunch of people who just go to church. Ladies and gentlemen, have you heard it? We're not called to just go to church. We're called to be the church. At home, in our neighborhood, at work, where we play, wherever it is. We're called to be the church on mission. Don't think it was just for them. No, it's for, pardon the bad English, all y'all. Are you empowered by the Holy Spirit of God? Are you carrying out the work of the Lord? Do you even know your spiritual gift? And so, when we say in Jesus' name, I think it's very apparent from that last point that the Lord is not giving all of us a blank check to ask for whatever we want so that we can spend it on our selfish desires. You guys see that, right? Driving down US 1, and you see it. And you pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that 2023 Lamborghini. (laughs) Yes, Lord. I don't care how many times you end your prayers in Jesus' name, guess what, it ain't gonna help. Don't take it out of context and teach whatever you wanna teach. Keep it in the context. The truth is, if we say in Jesus' name, and our prayers are not in accordance with God's will, they are not gonna be answered. But if they are according to God's will, they will be answered. You say, where do you get that, Pastor? Here's your last verses. I gave you the last point, here's your last verses. This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his what? There it is. That's when he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, and whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. And so again, I'll say it again, regarding our prayers, if they're not in accordance with his will, they're not gonna be answered. If they are, they will be answered. Therefore, when Jesus said, quote, whatever you ask in my name, what he meant is according to my character and according to my will. I'll close with this. God is not a genie that we can command around with our three wishes. We're not his sovereign, he's our sovereign. We're not his king, he's our king. And it's not about our will being done on earth as it is in heaven, it's about his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And all God's people said,